Hey, architecture firm owners and emerging leaders, get ready for unparalleled insight into the development of a world-class architecture firm and a worldwide organization driving the digital transformation of the design and construction industry with Build Smart, the podcast that's changing how our profession operates. We share the incredible stories behind innovation in the building industry with my friend and co-host, Patrick McLaney, FAIA, former CEO of the international architecture firm, HOK. You know, Yamasaki's office or firm lasted during his lifetime. And when he passed away, I think that was the end of the Yamasaki office. Helmut did not want that. He wanted a firm that would live out and grow beyond the founders. In season one, discover the untold stories behind HOK's meteoric rise, from 150 employees in St. Louis to a powerhouse with over 1,900 staff members and 27 offices worldwide. You know, they weren't as polite as the Kojima people. That was just boom. And anytime you have a creditor, whether it's Kojima or the bank, that wants their money, unless you can raise money someplace else, you are out of business. Bankrupt. Bankrupt. And hold on tight for season two, where Patrick takes us on a new adventure as chairman of Building Smart International, shaping the future of digital transformation in the design, construction, and operation of built assets. Ian Howell, Ken Harold, and I, Ken was my technical representative from HOK. The three of us took a tour of Europe of five cities in five days. Very busy time. Simply follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Build Smart Now and uncover lessons that will transform you and your architecture firm. Hey, this is Eric with 30 by 40 Design Workshop with a heads up that all of my content will be streaming on Gable Media. Starting October 7th, you can head on over to gablemedia.com video to check it out. Hi everyone, my name is Steven and I am the creator of Show It Better. And I'm glad to announce that Show It Better is now streaming on Gable Media. Visit gablemedia.com video to catch up on our full catalog. My name is Mark Arlapage, and you are listening to Entree Architect Podcast, where each and every week I speak with inspiring, passionate people who share their knowledge and expertise, all to help you build a better business as a small firm entrepreneur architect. This is episode 345, the critical legal issues every small firm architect needs to know with New York City construction law attorney, Robert Herman. This episode of Entree Architect Podcast is supported by our platform sponsors. RCAT, the online resource delivering quality building material information, CAD details, BIM specifications, and so much more, all for free. Gusto, easy online payroll benefits, and HR built for modern small businesses like ours. And Monograph, the time tracking and project management tool built for architects by architects. Robert Herman, welcome to Entree Architect Podcast. Thank you uh, for inviting me, Mark. I look forward to uh, speaking with you and appreciate the opportunity to be here. Thank you. 
Oh, you're welcome. I'm looking forward to this. This is going to be uh, a lot of fun, I think. This legal issues and risk management are topics that come up occasionally in our community of small firm architects, but I think it's often neglected in architecture uh, until it's too late, right? I think people, architects, don't like to talk about uh, risk management and legal issues uh, until they need to, and then when they need to, it's too late. And so I'm looking forward to our conversation today. I think we may inspire some architects to pay attention uh, and and make some con uh, some corrections or maybe do some preparation in order to uh, to avoid some situations in the future. So before we do have that conversation, let me introduce you to our listeners. Robert is a principal at the law firm Offit Kerman, based in New York City. He's the chair of the firm's New York Construction Law Practice. He represents and acts as general counsel to a number of architects and other design professionals and construction professionals, advising, advising them on uh, general business matters and representing them in litigation, arbitration, and mediation. Robert is a member of the Professional Practice Committee uh, of the American Institute of Architects in New York, the New York chapter. He's trained in mediation and is on the American Arbitration Association Panel of Construction Mediators. He also serves as a mediator for the New York Supreme Court, New York State Supreme Court Commercial Division. He's an adjunct professor at Columbia, Columbia University School of Architecture, Planning and Preservation, where he teaches advanced professional practice to third year master's students. So this is a man that has a lot of information for us. He's got a lot of experience and a lot of knowledge, and uh, I'm looking forward to this conversation. Um, so Robert, I shared a little bit about you and what you do and, and what you've been doing. Um, what we do here at Entree Architect Podcast is we start off with our guest's origin story. I'd love for you to just dig a little deep and dive into your story about what inspired you to do what you do and uh, share the moment from where you discovered that passion to where you find yourself today. I'd be happy to. Uh, thank you for that uh, lovely introduction. Um, I stumbled into the uh, my law practice uh, representing primarily design professionals and others in the in the construction world. Um, <clears throat> I was with a law firm back in the 1980s that happened to represent at that time a very large Canadian developer, Olympia New York, that was doing a lot of projects in New York City and around the world and country. And the firm, even though they were six lawyers, uh, was their construction counsel. So I really got to learn a lot about construction, working with the design team and the contractors. And then had the good fortune of uh, having a good friend who became the managing partner at Robert Stern Architects Firm. And uh, he hired us or hired me to become their outside counsel. And that relationship went on and lasted about 25 years. But out of that, uh, I began to meet other architects and I realized actually that I had a passion for architecture. I think I always enjoyed uh, the traveling and going and seeing uh, old buildings and new, new architecture buildings, but never realized quite the passion that I had for it. And so over the years, uh, the, my practice has just grown uh, through referrals of a lot of small firms, uh, not always all small, but I seem to work with a lot of firms of a couple of people, uh, helping them get started, see them grow. Um, and I now find myself you know, really uh, interested in architecture and I uh, have developed a lot, of, I've done a lot of teaching. I've been teaching four years now at Columbia, third year master's students in an advanced practice course. And I've been invited into four or five other schools in the New York City area to provide uh, 
uh, lectures or, or seminars, more more discussion seminars on the risk management topics usually. Um, and I now find myself happy to go to any city in this country and uh, look at old buildings and uh, find I can walk around any city, Buffalo, Pittsburgh, Cincinnati, Cleveland, and be very happy just looking at the architecture. So uh, I really, and then I had the opportunity a couple of years ago to be asked to write a book, which is called Law for Architects, What You Need to Know. And that's been used uh, in a lot of schools and firms have used it as a resource. So I really enjoy the opportunity to give back to the profession in any way I can through my teaching efforts or working with the professional practice committee at the AIA chapter in New York. Um, so whenever I can do something to give back to the profession that I really have come to really uh, enjoy and love, um, I'm happy to do that. Well, thank you. I thank you for uh, contributing to the profession and, and, and joining me here today. Law for Architects is the book. So you should go, go buy that and get that on your shelf. <laughs> First thing you should do, you listeners. Um, and so um, we, I wanted to, we, we've talked before offline, off the, the podcast, um, and got to know each other a little bit. And, you know, I wanted to invite you on the show. Um, our friend Drew Lang introduced us. And, uh, and through our conversation, I wanted to invite you on, on the podcast here to talk about legal issues. And I didn't really know which legal issues we should be talking about, what was the most relevant to small firms. Um, and you were talking about uh, managing risk through managing client expectations, which was not what I expected you to say. You know, I, I figured we'd dive right into some, you know, legal contracts and all of that kind of thing. And, and so, and you were very specific about that. And so I wanted to invite you here and, and talk about that. So what, what is your thought on, on how best small firm architects, which is our community, how best they could um, stay out of legal trouble? What are some of the ways they can manage their risk as they move forward in their practice? Well, I think I look at risk management really several different ways. One is obviously just avoid it by not taking a project. Uh, <laughs> I've had clients that, you know, they've offered a condominium tower. They've never done it before. Uh, you know, do they want to take that risk? Uh, you know, it would be something new and maybe get them into a market they don't have. But, and then there's obviously managing, you know, through contract negotiation, the legal provisions that the AIA provides, and then others that we recommend that aren't necessarily in the AIA contracts. Uh, and then, of course, there's the risk management, which is also a problem during CA and how do you manage during construction administration, uh, avoiding risk. But I think that well, the way I've, I've over the years looked at this is that, you know, contracts can have all the wonderful provisions you want and uh, you have a lot of legal provisions that support you, uh, maybe some that don't. But I think it really begins with being able to manage uh, the expectation of your clients as to what you're going to do and not do. And this is particularly true for small firms. Uh, you're very often uh, taking on a project for a client that never has done a project of that's of the particular size and scope. It may be their first house, their first apartment renovation. And I think they, in that situation, those clients have expectations that often are not uh, met by architects because they, they think architects are going to do everything for them. They're going to be their eyes and ears. They're going to be there. They're going to watch over the contractor uh, oversight um, and, and see everything and catch everything. And uh, I think it's really important to early on establish a communication with the client and, and go through 
if they've never done a project, you need to sit down with them at some point and talk about, well, this is how the design phase is going to work, and this is what we're going to do, and we're going to need your approvals at this phase and that phase, and talk about the construction administration phase. You may want to explain to them uh, what a shop drawing is, because you may be presenting an invoice for reviewing a shop drawing, and they may say, what is this? I had no idea you'd spend you know, five hours doing shop drawing review. I don't even know what you're talking about. Um, and also explain your site visits and the application for payment process, uh, how change orders would be managed, and also talk about the uh, project uh, closeout issues. In other words, how what's going to be involved in getting the project closed out. They may think that once it's done, they can move right in, but maybe there's a CFO they have to get that might take time. Um, so I think the critical thing is, is communication, and I think it's a theme that runs through the entire process. Um, and as I said, you have a contract and it could be, you know, a very solid contract, but if you don't communicate with the client from day one, and, and I think also in a very honest way, I think it's really critical to be honest with the client. Um, I, I think I see problems uh, where you want to accommodate the client. So you, you will, the client will say, yes, I have, I'd like to spend, you know, um, $500,000 on this renovation and you know based on the program that the owner has given you that there's no way it can be done for that yet you want the project so you sort of hesitate to say no and then later on you find that the owner really only did have 500000 and you gave them a design for a million dollars because you wanted to accommodate all of their beautiful uh, ideas and your beautiful designs and so I think being honest and communicating throughout is one way uh, outside of all the contracts you might have to really avoid uh, a risk. And I think also um, admitting um, that uh, you, if you make a mistake, you know, not just to try to start pointing fingers or if there are problems rather than point fingers to somebody else, I think it's helpful to uh, try and come up with creative solutions. So Robert just gave us a checklist. So rewind <laughs> and, and note down all those things that we should be doing step after, you know, uh, step by step. Because he, he, Robert literally just gave you a checklist of, that you can write down and make sure that you're going through each one of those items and making sure that you understand how that process works and that you're clearly communicating that process each step of the way uh, with your clients. We will return to our conversation after this quick break to say thank you to our platform sponsors here at Entree Architect, Arcat, Gusto, and Monograph. Unless you're working for one of the top architecture firms in the world, you know what it's like to work with limited resources. But there's one resource that you can access no matter what size your architecture firm, Arcat.com. RCAT is the online solution for your building product information needs. They offer BIM objects, CAD details, specifications, and much, much more from leading manufacturers from all over the world. Research building products and get the information you need all in the same place, fast and easy. And best of all, it's free. RCAT doesn't charge you anything for these resources. You don't even need to register or give them your email. And when I say it's free, there's no catch. Visit rcat.com and try it out. Search for the resources that you need and rcat will deliver. That's rcat.com. That's A-R-C-A-T.com. rcat.com. 
build better. Taking care of your employees has never been more important than now. For years, Gusto's been helping more than 100,000 small business owners run payroll, offer benefits, onboard new employees, and more. They call it the people platform. And it doesn't just look nice, and it does look nice. It also works. Your payroll taxes are filed, deductions are calculated, and your team gets paid. You can even offer health insurance and 401ks as you grow. As a listener of the Entree Architect podcast, you will get three months free after your first payroll when you go to entrearchitect.com slash gusto. That's entrearchitect.com slash gusto. And make sure that you let them know that you're a member of the Entree Architect community. Gusto, the people platform. Visit entrearchitect.com slash gusto today. Are you tired of spreadsheets? Of using spreadsheets to keep track of your project plans, your budgets, your staff, your time? Spreadsheets. Our friends at Monograph know what that's like because they're architects too. They know all about that spreadsheet mess that you're dealing with. So they did something about it. Monograph is a time tracking and project management tool built for architects by architects to respond to the challenges that small and medium-sized firms face on their quest to a profitable business. With Monograph's integrated suites of tools, you'll stay on track and on budget without the overhead of wrangling spreadsheets every day. Improve your firm's operations today. Try Monograph for free at entrearchitect.com monograph. Ditch the spreadsheets. Visit entrearchitect.com monograph and try Monograph today for free. Arcat, Gusto, and Monograph. Please visit our platform sponsors today and thank them for supporting you, the Entree Architect community. One of the questions I have, um, Bob, is with that list that you just went through, is that a conversation that we have prior to signing agreements or following our signing of agreements? When do we do that? I think if you can, when you're first meeting with the client and you're getting close to negotiating a contract, it doesn't hurt to have that discussion, as much of that discussion as you can have, uh, because to some extent, you know, they're going to get a contract and some of these owners will never read it uh, and they may sign it and they won't really know what's in there. And when you go later on to rely on that provision, you know, they're going to say, well, why didn't you explain this to me at the beginning when I, you know, I've never done this project like this. Why didn't you tell me about this? So I think that the earlier, earlier uh, you can do this kind of conversation, uh, I think the better you'll, better you're off you'll be in terms of uh, uh, managing the clients, uh, uh, setting and managing their expectations. Yeah, I, I often, in my practice, I'll use the contract to have that conversation. As, as I review the contract, we, we use that sort of as our uh, guide to have that conversation. So we'll go through each provision and then we'll sort of explain what that provision means uh, and how it's going to work and who's responsible for what and when and all that. I think, Wayne, I think that's a very interesting idea. I, have, I would say that I don't think any of my clients have ever done that that I know of because I think they're afraid to sit down with an 18 page B101 and right. show it to the owner and then show a provision that has 727 additional service provisions in it. Um, I think that uh, most of them will not want to do that. So, um, but I think it's an interesting idea and I'll certainly 
suggested to some of my clients uh, going forward. Yeah, with we do we do additions and alterations um, for residential, and we've we developed our own agreement with our attorney and our insurance company over the years, and so it it's it's a little bit more user friendly, which is why I built it that way, uh, than the than the AIA contract. Similar protection, but it's 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 a way that that when they read it, they understand what they're reading. Um, because well, we've developed for a lot of our clients uh, letter agreements with standard yep. terms and conditions that we attach, and I think it is much more user friendly uh, on certain kinds of projects. Absolutely. Yeah, and that's similar. To, go ahead. Yeah, I'd say the other thing that I, I stress on in talking to our clients, and and that is that they're in a business, um, and they ha they need to act as business people in negotiations. In other words. Uh, they are not only uh, practicing architecture as a profession, but they're running a business. And so I think if you come across as a business person, uh, taking seriously the business side of the practice, um, I think you gain respect from your yeah. clients. Uh, and I think that's something that's lost often because architects are a little afraid to take on their clients. They don't want to negotiate. They think they'll lose the project because they charge their a fee, they propose a fee, they think we, they don't want to charge a certain fee because they think they won't get the project. And I usually say, worst case is the owner, if they want to hire you, presumably they do, they'll negotiate it. But, you know, don't necessarily start off thinking that you can't offer some, propose something because they're going to reject it. Yeah, I agree. I think that when you uh, present yourself as a professional and you manage those expectations and you go through the process that maybe full of fear on both sides, right? You had mentioned, Bob, that many architects um, don't go through that process with an agreement because they're afraid to identify some of those provisions that need to be discussed, right? And so um, if you do that, you do earn that respect. And that respect often leads to trust, which provides the opportunity to design your greatest work when you have a client who's trusting uh, in your skills, and they clearly understand what your role and what your responsibility is. I think that the problem, I, I, I agree that tr trust is critical, and I also think that once trust is lost, if the contractor, if the owner doesn't trust you anymore, or the contractor doesn't trust you, or you don't trust the contractor or owner, I think it's really hard to ever get it back. Right. Uh, it's very difficult to reclaim a trust that you had at the beginning. So. Yeah, and, and you had I also mentioned think it's important that architects with particularly in small firms understand the insurance aspects of uh, not only their insurance, but what contractors and owners need to carry. Uh, so I think that's another part of what I spend a fair amount of time with clients is having, trying to help them understand um, owners builders, risk insurance policies and why that's important. Uh, being additionally insured on contractors insurance policies, understanding what their professional liability coverage and covers and doesn't cover uh, and why they can't agree to certain terms in their agreement. Well, they, if they agree, they will not have insurance. Um, uh, and tr that's a good basis to try and negotiate those provisions out when the owners propose them. But I think that's a whole nother area of where I think there's a lot of uh, effort can be made to educate people on the insurance aspects of the practice. You had also mentioned, Bob, early in, in your conversation with me here is um, the responsibilities of an architect, that often there's an un, um, a, a, uh, 
an expectation that we are going to provide certain services that are not really our role or responsibility. Um, and we don't clarify that and then it blows up, right? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I'm just, uh, dealing right now with a architect and the owner is saying, you didn't, you didn't oversee the contractor. You didn't see him do this. You didn't see him do that. And you know, there's a contract provisions that make it pretty clear that that's not the architect's role, but the right. owner still expects that, expected that. And the other issue when I, you know, is whether in those situations do the architects convey the wrong message in terms of what they are doing, because they want to accommodate the client. So maybe they take on more responsibility than they should uh, to make the project get go get go faster and smoother or to make the client happy and um, you know approve payment applications that shouldn't be approved because they know the contractor we've got to keep them working. Uh, so I think that um, uh, I think it's really important that, uh, that that those discussions be had and that you not overstep your your role and then be accused of not uh, not having the proper oversight. Yeah, you know us very well, Bob. <laughs> us architects, <laughs> because that we do that often, right? Especially small firms. All we want to do is make our clients happy, and so very often we will go above and beyond, thinking that we're providing this amazing service. Uh, but from their point of view, they think that because you're doing it, they think it's your responsibility and your role, and they don't realize that you're working above and beyond because you did not communicate that to them that this is additional this is out of oh, the ordinary and the number of times that i see where clients provide substantial additional services and never seek payment they think well why right. you know i'm not going to rock the boat and then there's some issue later with the client and they say well can i bill them for these additional services because now the client is withholding money from me and that's a difficult thing to be able to say, well, yes, you can, but that was two years ago um, and you never told them it was additional. I don't think you're going to get those fees. And I think there, again, that goes to being afraid of your client. Right. Um, and you really can't be afraid of your client. There's no reason to be afraid of your client. Yeah. That's a lesson I learned very early on as a young architect. We had one we, very early. We had a, a great residential project, full whole house renovation, million dollar budget, 229 year architect, 29 year old architects. My wife and I are partners. It was a dream job. And all we wanted to do was provide the best service we could. Right. And so we went above and we, we, we literally delivered laundry for the client. There was a crisis and she needed her laundry moved. That's the level of service that we were providing. And we never, Clearly, I communicated that that it was above and beyond, and they just assumed that that's uh, that was our role. That our role, not that we were a delivery service, but our role was to do anything that needed to be done to make sure the project went smoothly. And it blew up. It didn't work out the way we had hoped it would. Yeah, well, that's that that happens a lot. And then you know the architects have the deep pockets generally with the insurance. The contractors don't have the deep pockets with their insurance, and so that's why some claims arise. Yeah, I and I've had that happen as well, where where a client and a contractor had a conflict. The contractor did not provide the services that they were supposed to, made some mistakes, uh, didn't follow the drawings that they needed to follow, and ended up in a situation where the client sued the contractor, and we got pulled right into that lawsuit with it. Right, the attorney uh, took us both. Right, and luckily our agreements and our due diligence in, uh, prior and, and doing a lot of this uh, risk management did protect us. That, that spe specifically our agreement protected us. Um, 
but our documentation keeping, right? We kept great records. Uh, we learned that lesson early and, and result, you know, made the, um, the, the corrections later in our careers to make sure those things never happened. And, uh, and that was a really scary moment when we got that letter saying that we were part of a lawsuit. Um, and luckily, uh, our agreement and our, and our um, preparation and a great attorney uh, took care of it pretty easily. And, uh, and we weren't even involved in, in we were dismissed uh, because of, of our preparation. And so uh, yeah, I think one area of, of problems that I often see is just budgeting. In other words, providing the client with honest budgets um, and, uh, and then keeping them informed when, cha- when the owner wants to make all these changes, um, telling the owner, well, this is going to cost you more money. Uh, again, that's a discussion that clients don't like to have. They like to think that I'll just do the design and the owner will have the money. Uh, so again, it's communication, I think, is the theme. Yeah, the communication is critical. And and um, and like you said, managing expectations of, of what role is who, whose role is what. Um, and and if you make that a system, if you put together that in a, in a document of some sort or a checklist, it makes it very easy to communicate all of these things that we're talking about. Like I said, this is a checklist. You can go through this, rewind this whole episode and make notes and say, Oh, I have to do that. I have to do that. I have to do that. And instead of trying to remember to have these conversations, just make yourself a checklist and say, okay, I need to have this conversation. I need to have this conversation. And you can create a a document that you use as part of your process of, of, uh, it could be part of your sales process. It could be part of your negotiation process, wherever you, you know, want to, to put it is where it should be. Uh, but clearly communicating the roles, the responsibilities, clearly communicating that when there is an additional service, right? Because that's one of the things that we learned is that when we do do those additional services, uh, that we need to have a process to communicate that role, that response, that additional service as additional, right? Before you do the work and say, you know, we have an, we have an additional service, um, change order that we use and say, okay, we're adding additional services. This is what it's going to cost. This is what we're expecting to do. We have them sign it. And then when the bill shows up, there's no question. And if I wanted to do like I did early on as a young architect, if I wanted to provide some additional services for free, I could do that. But what I do is I document that in the document and say that I'm going to waive those fees. And then when the, when the invoice goes out, that service is on the invoice with a credit next to it. So I bill for it and then I provide a credit and I waive the, the fee that I, that I show them. So they see that we did the service, we show a value next to that service, and then we show that we've done it for free. And that clearly communicates that we've had a role, that we've had a responsibility, that you could have paid for it, but we're giving it away. And then if we, if we end up in a situation like you said, Bob, where um, that we have a, a conflict later where the client's not charging us, now we have all that documentation to show that we waived those fees, that we can come back and say, well, we actually earned those fees. You can, you can you know, pay us for those fees now. Well, I think that, they, uh, you know, it, that it, uh, owners don't understand how much effort architects put into a project. Right. They have no idea of the time that is put into these projects. And I think being able to document that for clients so they understand what the effort is, is, is also part of the process. So they appreciate what you're doing. Yeah. Uh, Bob, this has been a fantastic conversation. I, I appreciate the checklist because <laughs> I think that's going to be very helpful. Everybody can kind of go through it and, and make sure we're, we're, managing expectations well in order to manage our risk. 
Um, before we wrap up, I wanted to ask you the one question, Bob, that I ask everybody here at Entree Architect Podcast is what is one thing that a small firm architect can do today to build a better business for tomorrow? I think what they could do, I would say, one, is it just one thing? <laughs> <laughs> That's the question, but if you wanted to provide more, you could do that. No, I think that, well, I think it's, uh, it's, it's really, it's communicating, it's communicating with your client in an honest and truthful manner uh, and really uh, making clear what your role is and what your role isn't, but in a way that's friendly, a friendly way to discuss what you're doing so they understand. Uh, and then hopefully it'll be reflected in a, a reasonable and fair contract. But communication, if you can't communicate honestly with your client, uh, the project's not going to go well. So that would be yeah. the one thing that I would stress is practice, if necessary, how you communicate you to your client with respect to what you're doing. Uh, so it, it comes across in a user-friendly way. Right. I, it, it's often that we try to avoid pain right? Through doing things that, that we're afraid to do, um, which ultimately ends up in a lot more pain, right? And so if we, if we go through this process up front and we get good at it, right? If like what Bob said, if we practice this process of communicating and managing expectations, it gets better. It gets easier. We become less fearful of doing it. And then ultimately the project goes much smoother. If you avoid this because it's, because you're afraid to do it, because it, it's painful, it's something that we don't really want to do, um, very often it will blow up and it will become something that's way more painful than the awkward conversation that you might have up front. And like, like Bob said, if, if you have this conversation and the client is reacting in a very negative way, that's a red flag, right? That, this process of communicating back and forth and understanding the, the provisions of an agreement, if you're having a, a really tough time, a really uh, difficult uh, a conversation and a negotiation process, that's going to translate to the rest of the project. Years more work and pain of working with a, a complicated uh, contract and a complicated client. And so often this is a way for you to, you know, if it is a negative uh, process, you, you have the, the ability to say, well, this isn't going to work out. We're not going to do this project and avoid no, the no. situation altogether. Know your client. And earlier, the earlier you know your client, the better off. And if you ever have to go actually look at the contract, then you know you probably have a problem. So, exactly right. Uh, his name is Robert Herman. Two R's, two N's. We'll have uh, all of his information on the show notes. The web, uh, you can go visit his website, offitkerman.com. Uh, it's offit, O F F I T K U R M A N.com. Uh, Robert, this has been a fantastic conversation. I appreciate you for spending some time with us here and helping us sort of risk our, manage our risks through managing our client expectations. Thanks for joining us here today at Entree Architect right. Podcast. Thank you very much for inviting me. I really appreciate the opportunity to be here. You've been listening to episode 345 with Robert Herman talking about critical legal issues every small firm architect should know. These are critical issues that every small firm architect should know. So if you know an architect who doesn't know what we just talked about, or you think that might be helpful, send this link to a friend. It's entrearchitect.com slash episode 345. That's the link to share. That's the, the link for the show notes. entrearchitect.com slash episode 345. 
Entree Architect is proud to be part of the largest, most engaged AEC multimedia network on the planet. Gable Media, curated thought leadership for an audience dedicated to building a better world. Listen and subscribe to all the shows at GableMedia.com. That's G-A-B-L media.com. And check out Entree Architect Academy membership. It's ready to edit business resources. It's live monthly training. It's supportive architecture community is there for you, all waiting for you at Entree Architect Academy membership. Learn more and enroll right now at entrearchitect.com slash join. My friends, be well, be healthy, be happy, be safe, secure. Thank you for listening. Love, learn, and share what you know. Have a great week. I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this, I'm looking for projects. You got anything? I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, we'll buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging, the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. Where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like, how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris, owners of Level Studio Architecture, are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening, stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that <laughs> then, you know, in your head, you've rooted like, oh, I'm connected to these people, like long term. The process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges, demanding meticulous planning, flawless execution, and unyielding resilience. I kind of hate the term because it's so overly used, but I think everybody knows imposter syndrome. And I think it's it's so real to this day. I, I, I don't know if it's with everybody, but with me, I'm always questioning like us, can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? <laughs> we did it guys. Oh my the one that God. came out of nowhere. It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success. Calling all small firm architects. It's time to tap into your full potential with Entree Architects Context and Clarity, where inspiration meets innovation. Hey, it's Mark Arlapage, founder of Entree Architect, and I'm inviting you to join my two favorite co-hosts, Jeff Eccles and Katie Kangas, as they bring together authors, experts, and thought leaders for electric conversations with entrepreneur architects around the globe. It's not just a podcast, it's a community where dreams meet action. There is a simple equation there. And what for me, what that did, just doing that basic calculation was, it allowed me to compare what I had actually saved in my retirement accounts to what I thought a possible projected 
annual spend might be. Artists are temperamental, so beautiful design is going to be a priority. When the job is done, we're going to actually need to live in the house, not live with the person who designed it. <laughs> and so for me, the, the artistic skill, the architectural skill is most important. And so I would say like that would be 60% of it, if not more. Gain insights to build a successful practice. Subscribe, engage, and let's redefine your future together. Join the Context and Clarity community, where every conversation adds to your blueprint for success.